invite you to take your Bibles, please, and turn to this passage, which uh, the chairman of our elders, Jason <coughs> Jewelorette, read for us, Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at this passage and several other passages as we wrap up this series on relationships that matter. Today, we want to talk about this important relational connection of serving one another. And so let's once again ask the Holy Spirit to open our minds and our hearts to God's truth. Father, open our eyes that we may behold the beauty of your holiness and understand the truth that you would have us to grasp and to make a part of our lives this day. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. There's no way that we can escape from it inside every human being is untapped potential given to that individual by our creator, the living God. It's very interesting that Jesus makes a comment uh, in John chapter 12 and verse 24. He says that unless a kernel falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single current. But if it dies... It produces many kernels, many seeds. It's very interesting that there is a principle here that we must not forget. It's almost paradoxical. And the principle is this. If we want to experience life, first of all, we have to die. We have to die to our own selfish ambitions. Just like that seed, in order for it to sprout, it must first of all die so that it can become something beautiful that it wasn't when it was just a seed. It may uh, blossom into a beautiful flower. It could become a garden vegetable or a beautiful fruit, piece of fruit. But for that seed to flourish, it first of all must die. <coughs> Excuse me. And so there is a principle of life here that we need to keep uh, in front of us that if we are going to experience the blessing of God, if we want to experience this life that he's given to us, uh, we, first of all, if we're going to uh, experience the power of God in our lives, we must give up in order to gain. We must give up in order to gain. In other words, this is a principle that we find throughout life, that if we're going to become all that God has designed us to be, we must find our identity not in ourselves, but in what Christ has done for us. And this is the power of the gospel. And this is the transformation that happens in each one of our lives. It's a process that is indispensable. In giving up, we gain. And what an exciting adventure it is to risk everything that is dear to us in order that we might become all that God has purposed for us in Jesus Christ. For many of us, it may mean to readjust our priorities realign the way in which we think, uh, develop more of a disciplined devotional or prayer life. It may mean a complete reallocation of the amount of time we spend with our spouses and those that are close to us. It may mean stop watching the television so uh, often or being on social media so much that we start actually building meaningful personal relationships with those that are all around us. 
pick up a challenging book, do something a little bit different, break out of the comfort zone that you find yourself in so that you can find all that God has purposed for your life to become in the Lord Jesus Christ. But unless that seed dies, it never realizes the full potential that God has for it. And so the principle of giving up in order to gain is inseparably linked with this principle that we want to look at today, that is serving one another in love. You know, potential is never developed through isolation from others. To the contrary, we develop our full potential in relationship to one another. We engage with others. We serve one another. There's something about engagement and service that brings out the best in every single one of us. No athlete ever becomes a great athlete by just staying in the gym and shadow boxing. Uh, he develops skill by being in the ring, by being involved, by being engaged. And by the same token, if we're going to experience all that God has for us, we too need to be engaged in service. We need to live out this supernatural life that God has given to us. And so this journey of serving one another in love, I believe, is something that all of us need to grasp anew and understand that God has saved us. He has transformed us by his grace, not so that we can just sit in and soak in a lot of the blessings of God, but that we would actively be involved in some type of ministry or service that is not for our own benefit, but rather for the benefit of others and the ultimate glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, first of all, I want you to notice in this passage that serving one another in love finds its source in Christ. You see this in verse 13. He says, you, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, and this is what you need to underline in chartreuse, serve one another in love. This is a calling that God has given to every single one of us, and it's linked to our freedom in Christ. At one time, we were all bound up in sin. Sin had us all tied up in knots. The sinful nature dominated. The sinful nature controlled our thinking, our actions, everything that we do. But now we've come to faith in Jesus Christ. We put our trust and confidence in him. And he has set us free from the old sinful nature of the past for a specific purpose, and that is that we serve. When I was growing up a number of years ago, there was an awful lot of discussion about how salvation is linked to service. We don't hear much about that anymore, and yet it's a biblical principle. If you've been saved, if you've been transformed by the blood of Christ, there is something inside you. You want to become involved. You want to serve. You want to develop this relationship to Christ. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 8, and verse 36. If the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And so he has freed us from the past. He has freed us from that old nature in order that we might blossom and become something that only can be truly developed as we serve and as we give our lives uh, for each other and for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. So spiritual freedom is linked to Christ. Secondly, spiritual freedom liberates us from the yoke of slavery. Notice he says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free, 
but do not use your freedom to indulge that sinful nature. In other words, there is a constant war that every one of us fight. That is the old nature and the new nature. The Bible says that in Christ we are new creations. The old has passed away. The new has come. But the old nature has a way of always resisting everything that the new nature desires us to do. And so he says if we understand our identity in Christ, if we are living for Christ, we're no longer living for ourselves, then we will not use our freedom to indulge once again in the sinful nature. We've been forgiven. We've embraced the grace of God, and his unqualifying love and his amazing grace is what propels us now to serve him and to do that with all of our hearts. In fact, if you just think back in your life, uh, think back to that moment when you first of all understood your need of a Savior, and you came to an altar, or maybe you met the Lord at camp, or you did something where the, the Holy Spirit really got a hold of your life, and he changed, he, he radically changed the trajectory of your life. And, 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 and what was the end result? You wanted to serve. You wanted to get involved. There was, there was a motivation in our hearts to, to do something for God. He had done something for us. But what happens over the course of time, that, that, that fervor, that excitement about serving Jesus, it begins to just kind of cool down. And we begin to think that others ought to serve and others ought to be involved and others need to do this. And when we hear needs in the church that need to happen, well, there's plenty of people that can respond to those needs. And we forget about the fact that God wants to use every single one of us. Can you imagine, just for a minute, imagine what could happen in the body of Christ if all of us were involved in some kind of service using our spiritual gifts. That's one of the things we're going to be talking about in this class at 9 o'clock. How to discover your gifts. How to use your gifts. How to... How to Feed your spiritual passion so that you can become all that God wants you to be. Let me, let me tell you, your spiritual growth is directly tied to your service. And the more you serve, the more you will grow, the more you will develop in your walk with Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying to us here in these opening verses, he is saying that spiritual freedom is linked to Christ. It liberates us from the yoke of spiritual slavery. And Jesus becomes our model. He becomes our model for service. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22 and verse 27, Jesus says to his disciples, I am, as among, uh, I am among you as one who serves. Now, it's very interesting the context in which Jesus makes that statement. He's with his disciples in the upper room. They're preparing for the Passover. Not a few days while Jesus would be going to the cross. And in the midst of all of the preparations for the Passover, the disciples get into a squabble over who's going to be greatest in the kingdom, who's going to sit on uh, the son's right hand. And they begin to argue, and they practice this, this, this one-upsmanship that, that they were feeling that one was better than the other. And Jesus, he says in the midst of all this, I am among you as one who serves. And then he says to these quarreling disciples in verse 26, 
Knock it off, guys. You, you guys are going down the wrong road. Just knock it off. Jesus' words were simply, but you are not to be like that. You, you see, in the body of Christ, it's not a matter of what position. It's the attitude of service. Jesus came to serve and to give. See, if we could understand this, so many times we want to be on the receiving end and we forget that God calls us to be on the giving end. We are to give our lives for others. We are to sacrifice our lives for others. We are to serve each other. And that is what indicates that there's been a radical change that has been transformational that is not just something that we feel for a moment and then it goes away. It's something that resonates within our hearts deep within. And so this matter of serving one another is found in Jesus Christ. And the more you focus upon Jesus, uh, the more there's going to be a desire for you to serve. One of the things we want to do here at East Bay, we want everybody's attention to be on Jesus. It's not about us. It's not about our neighbors. It's about Jesus. This is a place where Jesus rules, where he reigns, and he's the one that motivates us <coughs> excuse me, to serve one another. Now, number two, serving one another features a denial of self. Notice, <coughs> excuse me, notice what he says here in verse 13. He says, do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Now, that's a warning to all of us. Because sometimes we have the idea that once we come to Jesus Christ, now we can just do whatever we want to do. You know, and we can, get, we can, we can still kind of dabble in the old life. We can, we can still kind of play games with God. And, and when we're with our buddies, why, we, we just kind of blend into the crowd. But then when we're with our Christian friends, we do something a little bit different. And, and so Jesus is, or Paul is saying to us here that, we don't want to misuse our freedom. We want to feed this new nature that God has given to us and that liberty in Christ is not a license to sin. This freedom in Jesus Christ is something that we must value and we must cultivate every single day in our lives. In verse 14, Paul goes on to say that liberty in Christ fulfills the law. Notice the law of Christ is summed up in that simple statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, the more we fall in love with Jesus and the more we fall in love with one another, there will be an incentive for us to reach out to our neighbors and our friends and to serve them as Christ has empowered and enabled us to do so. Thirdly, liberty in Christ empowers us to overcome the sinful nature in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to look very closely at what he says beginning at verse 15. He said, If you keep on uh, biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, here it is, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. 
Oftentimes, we say, okay, I'm going to live for God, and then something happens, we don't even anticipate it, and we begin doing things that we know we ought not to do. So that you do not do what you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, underscore that, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You see, every single day we are at war with the sinful nature. I don't care how long we have lived our lives as Christ followers, whether you're a new believer, you're, you've known the Lord for 5, 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Every single one of us every day are in conflict with this old nature that constantly is out to defeat us and to destroy everything that God wants to build in our lives. But it is through the power of the Spirit that we can overcome. Now, notice this very carefully. He says, live by the Spirit, verse 16, and you will not gratify, you will not succumb to the desires of the sinful nature. Now, that doesn't mean that the desires aren't, aren't out there. The desires of the sinful nature are all around us. All you have to do is walk outside this door, and the sinful nature is there. It greets us. No matter where we go, at our business, at our, at our, our workstations, wherever we are, the sinful nature is there to trip us up. But we have an advantage as Christ followers. We have what? The Spirit of God. He is in you. We receive the Spirit of Jesus the moment we believe. He is the one who empowers us to defeat and to overcome this enemy, this, this one who is out to, to kill, steal, and destroy everything that God has for us. Now, I want you to flip over. Keep your finger there in Galatians chapter 5, but flip over to what Paul says in the book of Romans about this very same uh, situation. Romans chapter 8, and I want you to pick it up here with me at verse 5 uh, through verse 11. Now, notice, he says, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. That's the problem. But... Those who live in accordance with the Spirit, we have the Spirit, okay? We set our minds on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is what? It is life and peace. There it is. It is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. I don't know about you, but I want to please God. <laughs> that true? You want to please Him? Man, I do. I, I want to. I, 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 he has done so much for me. He has changed my life from the inside out. More than anything else, I want to please Him. But the sinful nature cannot please God. He goes on to say, "You are. You are." He's talking to believers now. Notice. You are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the spirit sense. You see that little word, if? In the original, it is a fulfilled condition. You ought to translate that, since the spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to Jesus. 
If you don't know, if, 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 if you don't have a relationship to Christ, you don't have the Spirit. But we have the Spirit. Notice what it says here. We belong to Christ, but since, here it is, verse 10. See that little word, if? Translate it, since. Since Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of the righteousness. Verse 11, and since, again, instead of if, and since the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his what? Through his spirit who lives in, oh my. <laughs> this is fabulous. We're not pawns that the devil can manipulate. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. The moment we believe, he takes over. And every day we need to yield ourselves to the control of the Holy Spirit because every single day we know we're in a battle, a life or death battle with the sin nature. But we don't have to succumb, okay? Because what does the Bible say? Greater is the one who is in you than he that is in the world. So, liberty in Christ empowers us to overcome the Spirit, well, overcome the enemy through the Spirit. And next, liberty in Christ enables us to conquer the flesh. Now, it's very interesting that beginning in verse 19, as we work our way through here, the apostle gives us a list of some horrendous sins that wage war against the devoted Christ follower. And notice... At the end, in verse 21, ah, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, at the end of verse 21, he lets us know the consequences of practicing those kind of sins. Notice verse 21, those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, let me just put it this way. You see, when the flesh is in control, the Holy Spirit is stymied. It's like we throw a wet blanket upon the Holy Spirit. He's alive within us, but when we allow the flesh, the old way of living to win, okay, to have mastery in our lives, our relationships are impacted in a negative way. Now, it's very interesting. As you go down through this list, you see all kinds of horrendous sins. In fact, there's 15 of them altogether. But eight of them, eight of the 15, notice, relate to our relationships with each other. Discord, hatred, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy. All these are relational issues. Now, let's just look at one of these fleshly sins that can destroy relationships. Let's look at just one of them, okay? Let's look at envy, envying one another. Envy develops when we succumb to the temptation of comparing ourselves to someone else. We see someone else being used of God. We see someone else being uh, blessed by God and 
And, and we said, man, I, I, I wish I was like that person. God hasn't gifted me like, but I really wish I was like that person. And we start comparing ourselves and saying, you know, I'm unhappy with who I am. I'm envious of someone else. And pretty soon as we keep on comparing ourselves, the person that we're envious of, we, we actually start to dislike. And we begin to talk negative about them. We begin to say things that are not true about them. Uh, we were like, wish we were like so-and-so. Oh, I just wish I could speak like so-and-so. Or if I could sing like so-and-so. If I could serve like so-and-so. And before we know it, we are very critical of people that are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And we routinely put them down. Oh, you know, that's a fanatic. Oh, that person, they... Yeah, we, we, our envy gets the best of us. And as envy continues to get a grip on our lives, we no longer are free to become the person that God wants us to be. Our spiritual growth is stunted. Our service is lacking. And we show up on Sunday, but there's no joy. There's no sense of, man, it's wonderful to be in the house of the Lord. Today I can serve one another. I can serve my my brothers and sisters, I'm here to be a blessing to others. I'm here to just release the blessing that I've experienced all during the week. I just want it to flow in the body. All that goes away. There's no joy, no celebration, because our focus is not on Christ. Our focus is on ourselves. And we are envious of that other person. Envy will steal service more than anything else that I know. That's why it's absolutely futile for us to compare ourselves with other Christ followers. He did not create all of us the same way, and he's not given all of us the same gifts. He has given every single one of us at least one gift. We're not responsible for, for other people's gifts. We are responsible to develop and feed and nurture the gifts that God has given us. And if every single one of us in the body of Christ actually began to do this, we'd be a transformed congregation. It's amazing what happens when God's people, empowered by the Spirit of God who lives within them, is in control, and they've given up the old way. Whenever it comes knocking at their door, they refuse to yield to that old nature, and they clothe themselves daily with the Spirit of God. I love what Chuck Swindoll says in this regard. He says, rabbits don't fly, eagles don't swim, ducks look funny trying to climb, squirrels don't have feathers. Stop comparing. There's plenty of room in the forest. God, God loves diversity. And when all of us use our diverse gifts for the glory of God and for the benefit of the body, oh my, church is fun. <laughs> it, is, it is such a joy. It is, you, well, it, 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 it just transforms the way we, we do life. It transforms what happens on a Sunday morning because we're just all excited about unleashing what God has placed within us so that we can bring blessing and glory to others, not to ourselves. That's never about us. Remember, it's always about Jesus. 
And then lastly, liberty in Christ produces spiritual fruitfulness. He talks about all these sins of the flesh. And then in verse 22, notice there's the word but. Put a circle around the word but. Now, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You see, he doesn't want us to live by the works of the flesh. He wants us to live by the fruit of the Spirit. And when our lives are under the control of the Holy Spirit, instead of the sin dominating, our lives become fruitful and fulfilled. It's just amazing what happens when the fruit of the Spirit takes over. You see, the fruit of the Spirit doesn't have anything to do with what we do. It's who we are. The gifts of the Spirit have to do with what we do. The fruit of the Spirit has to do with who we are. And God is much more interested in our being than he is in our doing because if we exercise the gifts apart from the fruit, it's going to be futile. But he says here that the fruit of the Spirit, when the Spirit of God is in control, the seed that has died bears fruit. And it's something on the inside. And you'll notice that the key word in that cluster is love. See, where there is love, there will be joy. And where there is love, there will be peace. And where there is love, there will be patience. And where love flows, service follows. When we're in love with Jesus, we can't wait to serve. We are ready to sign up at a minute's notice. And I want to just thank many of you. I I, I tell you, we've seen a whole resurgence of service here in the church. It's amazing. I mean, you talk to our maintenance director. Talk to some of the people that are asking for volunteers, and it's just amazing what God's doing. And it's because we are allowing the fruit of the Spirit to be activated and central in our hearts and in our lives. So love revolutionizes relationships. It takes the place of all the laws that we can never fulfill. And it's something that enables us to serve. Let me just put it very simply. Liberty in Christ plus love minus self equals service. It equals service. Now let's hasten on. Serving one another flourishes in heaven. You know, we need to get in practice because one of these days we're going to be up in heaven and uh, service is going to be a key component of our experience in eternity. So we need to get in practice of serving right now. Turn over to Revelation chapter 22. And I want you to look especially at verse 3. He says, no longer are speaking of heaven, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. His servants will serve him. Now, a couple of things you need to note here in this passage. First of all, in heaven, the curse is removed. As it was in a garden of Eden before sin entered the world, so it will be in God's heaven will no longer have to do with the effects 
of the fall, the effects of the curse. Heaven is going to be a paradise of perfection. It's a place that God's preparing even now for those who love him. And what are we going to be doing in heaven? What is the main thing we're going to be doing? Serving. We're going to be serving the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, number two, in heaven, the lamb is the central figure. Notice, the lamb will be in the city, speaking of the resurrected Christ. (coughs) Excuse me. The resurrected Christ, the lamb will be in the city, and all of us who are there will serve him. He is the centerpiece of heaven. All of heaven focuses upon the lamb. It's wonderful. And it's very interesting that in heaven, we will serve him forever. And the nice thing about heaven is that we will serve without ever getting weary without ever getting tired. I don't believe anybody's going to say in heaven, I'm just so tired. I can hardly make it. I I don't think there's going to be any of that kind of grow. You know, I'm I'm just worn out. Can't do it anymore. None of that's going to happen in heaven. Do you understand this? We will serve him perpetually with energy. Supernatural energy, actually resurrection life, because the Bible says when we see him, we shall be what? We shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. Now, how are we going to serve him? Well, number one, we're going to serve God by singing, by singing. I want you to turn over to Revelation 5 and uh, verse 9. Notice, and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Verse 11. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne. Verse 12, in a loud voice, what they sang, there it is again, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Verse 13, then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, under the earth and on the sea, and all of them singing three times. He talks about the fact that in heaven, one of the wonderful ways in which we're going to serve God by singing. And I don't think there'll be any monotones up in heaven. Can you imagine what it's going to be like? My, my, my. I mean, I get excited in our worship time, but can you imagine? Look what it says here. Many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000. You talk about a mass choir. That's that's a huge choir. We're all going to be participating, singing, serving the Lord Jesus. Number two, I believe we will serve God by studying. I believe in heaven we're going to learn. I believe that we will discover things that baffled us in this life. 
You see, today we, we uh, look through a glass darkly. Uh, our life is kind of a kaleidoscope, and there's a lot of things that, that, that don't add up. But when we kind of twist that kaleidoscope and things clear up, then we can see a beautiful picture. And I believe that's what is going to happen in heaven. The things that baffle us now, we're going to understand, and it's not going to matter. I used to keep a list of all the questions I would have for Jesus when I see him. I threw that away several years ago. Because when we see Jesus, we're going to be so taken up with him. We're going to worship him. We're going to love him. And the things that baffled us in this life will all be clarified and cleaned up and clear because we are in his presence. And then lastly, we will serve God by sharing. I believe it's going to be a wonderful time of sharing with the people of God. Can you imagine sitting at the marriage supper of the Lamb and talking to Abraham? Maybe talking to Ruth? Talking to Daniel? Talking to Paul and Peter? Talking to the great people of God, Joseph? Can you, can, you, can you just imagine what that sharing is going to be like? Where we talk with each other and we share with one another. It's going to be a fabulous time of sharing around the throne of God. In Revelation 5 and verse 13, I just read it. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and in all things in them, I heard them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, here it is, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever. It's going to be heavenly talk. It's going to be talk that we share with one another. It's going to be a marvelous time. And I believe that serving one another does reach an apex in heaven. That's why it's so important that we are serving now. We serve each other in love in preparation for the wonderful service that we will give to the Lamb, to the one who is the centerpiece of heaven through all eternity. Serving one another through love means that we deny ourselves, we take up our cross, and we follow Jesus. Let me just leave you with a couple of thoughts. Number one. The greatest asset the church has is people. God's blessed us with a wonderful facility here. It's all paid for because of the sacrifice, because of the blood, sweat, and tears of many who have gone before us. Just a couple of years, this church will celebrate its 75th anniversary. We stand on the shoulders of those who did so much. We've been given so much. But the church is not a building. The church is the body of Christ, serving each other, serving one another, allowing the Holy Spirit to take complete control. Number two, God's desire is that his people be set free to serve him. Do you remember the words that God repeatedly spoke to Moses that he passed on to Pharaoh 
Exodus 8, 1, Moses said, let my people go that they may serve him, that they may worship him. It's very interesting that that Hebrew word there, you see, service is also an act of worship. Don't ever forget this. We think that the only time we worship is maybe in a, a service like this. But if we understand the scriptures, the scriptures tie worship with service. And so every act of service, whether you're on the security team or the nursery or in a life group or whatever, every, every, every time you serve, you are worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so this morning, I just want to encourage all of us to renew our commitment to serve in preparation for that time when we will see his face and we will serve him for all of eternity. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are so good to us. We love you so much. We thank you that you have given us the privilege to serve. We're no longer under the curse. We're no longer slaves to the sinful nature. We have the power of the Holy Spirit within us. And our service is an act of worship. And each time we serve, we are allowing the Spirit of God to use us in ways that are beyond anything we could ever imagine. None of us will ever understand the extent of joy that comes to those that we serve by our worship of service with them. Help us, Lord, to be actively engaged now so in heaven the thrill of being with you will continue to ignite our hearts as never before because of what your spirit is doing within us, stirring us to be men and women of God. This we pray in your precious name. Amen.